This is episode number 10 of The Bearded Marketers. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We've hit this huge milestone, 10 episodes. I think nearly... Double digit son. I think we're over 2,500 listeners at this point, too. So we've hit a couple milestones. Really, this is like episode number 34. (laughs) We won't talk about the first 20 episodes. Exactly. They were the rough cuts. (laughs) Yeah, too much Macallan on those. Uh, Tonight we are drinking Macallan 12. Yes. Um... I think we've got some good topics for tonight. Good summertime drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to start off talking about some principles of persuasive web design. Mm -hmm. I know you found a good article on that. Yeah. We're going to touch on a little bit of the Tumblr acquisition. We know Yahoo likes to screw up everything they buy, so we can talk a little bit about what they think. They like spending their money wisely. Yeah, what they think they're doing. (laughs) Uh, I think we're going to head into... You know, as it's probably come across in multiple episodes, metrics are close to my heart. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about multi-device tracking um, and some new features that are rolling out with some of the Google Analytics product suit that I think might be of interest to some uh, of our listeners. But I think it also raises some concerns about privacy, which we'll kind of hash out and talk about a bit, um, and where the U.S. might be headed in in that area, and does this kind of trigger even more privacy concerns. Um, Rob also took some time and went up to Boston last week for the summit, so I think you're going to give a recap about that. Yeah, I headed out to the uh, Marketing Sherpa Optimization Summit, and for those of you who do not know, listeners out there, both Corey and I used to work for Marketing Experiments. So true. I sort of went up there and, and hung out with some of the old coworkers and got your and, learn on and got my learn on, witnessed the workshop mm-hmm. in its new form. Uh-huh. So got uh, you know a few things picked up that we can talk about, okay. and I think one of those things we're going to talk about a little bit is ugly versus pretty web design and, and which okay. converts better. I think there's been a little controversy in the industry yeah. about about that topic. So does personality trump <laughs> prettiness? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that, that'll be a good topic. I, I think that's uh, something that's a little bit near and dear to my heart. Um, so that'll be a good topic for us to close out on. So let's go ahead and get cracking with um, some principles of pervasive design. So I, I uh, got some reading on this week, and I thought I felt that I found this article on Conversion Excel, which is a pretty decent blog, and they had a good. Um, article that I thought was relevant for us for a number of topics, but they talked about uh, really what are some key elements to design to pay attention to. And uh, really, when we talk about pervasive design, it really talks about how do we get people to do what we want them to do at the, at the end of the day? Um, and how do we design pages to arrive at the goal that we want people to be at. Um, We don't necessarily, I mean, as bad as it sounds, we don't necessarily want people making too many decisions. We kind of want to guide them on a path to kind of arrive at where we want them to. Um, They might take some alternate paths here and there, but it's kind of our job kind of as captain of the ship to kind of steer them in the way that we want them to go. Um, And I thought that they brought up some good points that were... You know, I almost I think this could kind of fit into our back to basics category even and kind of rehashing some of the things that maybe we've learned in the past, but we we forget about um, or we just need to be reminded about. And, uh, you know, the number one thing that they pointed out is really clarity above everything in your design. Does what you're talking about make sense 
Um, when people arrive at the page, you know, what can I do with this site? What am I looking for? How useful is it to me? You know, these things are really important. And I think when it comes to designing a page, sometimes clarity gets lost. You know, we get caught up in the effort to try to design a good looking page and have all these fancy elements or features, but it's almost like that, you know, as design, I feel like on the whole on the internet has kind of taken some steps forward, probably in the last three years or so. Um, I feel like there's almost kind of been in some camps, a de-emphasis on the copy and really what is the offer? It's more about well, we have a nice looking page that's developed in Bootstrap. It has really cool like fades and features and it looks really neat. We have nice gradients and, and great stock images and comparison tables and all these types of things. But we've kind of gotten away from what is the heart of the cell, which is the copy and, yeah. and how we're framing what we're offering. And that, it doesn't have to be just e-commerce. It can be lead gen, a bunch of different things. Um, and if that doesn't really make sense, or we're thinking about that, you know, as second nature, I think no matter how pretty of a design we can come up with, if it's not clear what I'm trying to get you to do or why you should even care, you know, really your value proposition, then really all that effort that goes in design might, might be for naught. And it might be, as we will cover maybe later on, that a uglier page that spends more time on framing the offer, why you should care, might maybe work a little bit better. I mean, design can pull you for a little bit. Um, but like I said, if it's not really clear on why I should care or what I'm supposed to be doing here, it, it might not matter. Yeah, I think you have a good point there. And I think, you know, maybe the industry itself goes through cycles in terms of what we focus on and in, in design and content and it's really, you know, follows from, you know, some of the summits, like one of the ones I went to. And, and right. what are people talking about in the industry and what's important? And I think right now with such an emphasis on statistics and uh, running optimization tests that mm -hmm. a lot of people um, get caught in all the pieces. Like you were saying, I have a nice interactive experience. I have cool gradients. I have all the pieces, I think, that, right. you know, should get, should lead to good optimization and lead to a good user experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm just switching them in and out and trying to find the best combination of these things. Right. I'm trying while, to follow the best practices. Right. That's while missing, yeah, while missing the whole plot, <laughs> right. which is that, you know, you need to make something that people can understand mm -hmm. and what is your actual product and how is it useful. They're missing those key points by just trying to rotate in the the sign-up form on the top right. left and the, you know, the, the navigation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think what happens sometimes, I don't want to get too much into our point later on, but I think what, what ends up happening and when clarity becomes really evident is when you test a, a page that's heavily designed, what I've found in the industry is a lot of people will take a landing page that might work okay and they just tell a designer, make this better. And they make it look a lot better but there might have been a lot of work into the copy of the old page and into the offer based on someone that had a lot of experience about the customer. They understand what they need for the sale. And the designer, you know, without any guidance, sometimes can make a very usable page and a very pretty page. But they don't necessarily understand the psychology behind why some of that copy was there, why it was arranged in the, in the format that it was. 
And so I think sometimes we have this divorced relationship between design and the generation of our offer and copy because design, you know, is a different department or it's a contractor that works for us. And yeah. that marriage between understanding the sale and the importance of usability and design sometimes is removed from one another. And I think that's where the issues call. So anyways, I think we're getting a little bit off topic, but I can't emphasize enough how much clarity when you're designing a page is really important. And sometimes, it, an, uh, you know, like clarity can be more important than how attractive a page can be. But having said that, the very second point that they had was the visual appeal of a page. And I think that this is becoming really important, especially I, I can tell in myself that I still, I feel like trust has taken an interesting turn on the web for where we used to look for credibility indicators for trust. I think now the attractiveness and the professionalism of your site has now entered its own kind of trust indicator, so to say, on the web of when I go to a site and what I expect. At this at this time and point when we're in 2013, you know, it's not that difficult or hard to come up with a semi-decent looking web page. And when I run across ones that have some serious usability issues, I feel like my patience has worn even thinner, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. And I think visual appeal falls into that, that same camp where I expect... And if you, your images look like doo-doo and they're stretched to hell... It's, a, it's an industry yeah. term. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, they're pixelated and it just doesn't look that attractive. I, as, as nice as your product is, I just kind of get disinterested in it. Right. It doesn't look good Absolutely. Um, to me. And also if I'm buying that product because I want to look good or I'm using it for a client or I might be using it for a presentation, um, you've already kind of lost me from the get go. If it doesn't look visually appealing, uh, whether that's a white book that I'm trying to give someone and it looks meaningful, whether that's a product that I'm trying to sell someone. I mean, the applications are really unlimited, but if it doesn't have visual appeal, I feel like you've already started me out with, I was looking for something and you have, you've done zero, maybe even negative to get me excited about this. I, you know, it's funny. I think this is something that is missed a lot of times with websites, but it's not with any other kind of product. I mean, mm -hmm. just about any other kind of thing that you're selling, be it cars, desks, chairs, whatever it is, I mean, there is significant effort done to make it look good, make it look right. like it's high quality, make it attractive, mm -hmm. um, make it modern design standard, you know, like right. make it look good, basically, mm -hmm. because that portrays value um, and it's what people want. But when it comes to websites, all of a sudden, everything is so subjective. Right. Um, no, I don't think that that looks good. I think that this looks good. Well, I mean, there are still standards. And right. actually, in this article you're talking about, they they have a link off to a Google study that Google studied. What are um, some key factors that make most people like a website? Mm -hmm. I guess is how they quoted it. And the two key factors were um, low visual complexity. So basically, the simpler you can make your website, the better. Right. I mean, obviously, Google's going to say that. Look at everything sure. they have. <laughs> Just logo, search box, right. that's it. Um, but the other thing was high prototypicality. High prototypicality. It's McCallum's talking right yes. now. Yes. Um, so, which is basically just, does this site look like every other site 
mm-hmm. um, in this sort of industry? Or does the site look how I would expect a banking mm-hmm. site to look, right. you know, for example? So, and, and I think those are two um, important things to keep in mind. Well, and I, I don't want to say this is a counter to, but I will also say that, <clears throat> and there's actually a study here on this uh, article that people should check out as well, that uh, for a majority of the population, visual appeal is actually more important than usability. If you make your product or site experience look really cool, sometimes people will be willing to hunt to how to interact with that. Now, I'm not saying you should do this and make a terrible site usability-wise, but for the most part, visual appeal is more important to people than usability. So that that should be a reminder to us that the visual look and feel and the ambiance that we create with our website visits is super important. Um, And more so than necessarily following what we feel like are necessarily the standard best practices. If we have to sometimes deviate away from that, that's okay. As long as we are creating the, the uh, really the visual visual appeal that, that needs to be merited with our product. Right. It will, for a lot of products, it's about continuing the branding Mm -hmm. efforts that the company has been undertaking for decades. Probably. So, and differentiation as well. Like you talked about what I expect from a site. I think sometimes too, if we can, in, in a positive way, if we can appeal to be different, especially now that we've all become somewhat expert con- um, comparison shoppers, yeah. I think that that really matters uh, in this day and age where it's easy to find, you know, alternate options out there. So, um, all right. So moving right along, the third item that they had was having a strong visual hierarchy, and I believe that this is this is probably one of the sole reasons why this ugly versus pretty debate kind of exists in the way that it does now in our industry, uh, which, again, we'll get to later. But what they mean here is when you have a visual hierarchy of the page, what is the importance of the page design? You know, what are we trying to draw attention away? And really, when we're talking about hierarchy, in what order does this occur? And I feel like what a lot of people get in trouble with when they design websites is there's a couple of things. One, we have multiple ownership of different parts of a website. You know, for example, a homepage. Marketing owns this space. Uh, Maybe our sales team owns this. And then our email team owns this portion of the uh, homepage. This is a lead capture. And what ends up happening is everyone is trying to out-compete one another for attention of the user. So, the email team, well, we add an animated background to ours because we want to catch people's eyes. Well, now the salespeople are like, well, fine. If you're going to do that, then we're going to have obnoxious yellow check marks by our bullet points. And then, you know, now the marketing team wants to, to get in on the action. And we end up having this page that is essentially fighting for the user's attention for all these spaces. And when I come to your site... I'm really struggling with understanding what you want me to do. Remember, we are the conductors or the captains of the ship and trying to drive the user to do a certain action. And if we essentially have all the exits lit and all these neon signs pointing in different directions, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and maybe get into a path that's not really relevant to what I'm trying to do. This is Yeah, I think this is almost a different a different way of looking at the first point where you're talking about um, the clarity. Right. This is another way you could look at it in terms of <clears throat> not drawing 
if you're drawing attention all over the page, I guess ipso facto, you know, it's, the offer is not less, clear, clear. Less clarity. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have a good point there in terms of uh, departments competing for real estate and competing for visitors' eyeballs. And, um, you know, you see that a lot. And I think what you end up with, like you said, is, well, now we have an autoplaying video. Mm-hmm. And now we have the little <laughs> pop-up testimonial person that's, right. like, already talking to me mm-hmm. on the side. And we have the survey slide down that I'm comes up. I'm glad to see and, that less and less sites are using the... Um, the actor that yeah comes the little in. mini actor <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always hated that anyways I'm getting I thought off it was funny there. but um, but yeah I mean so I think we struggle with it in that sense you know I think a lot of corporations kind of fall under that umbrella but I also think that <clears throat> what I've run into with working with clients is they want to make sure that people don't miss things. So they want to bring emphasis to it. So they create certain sections where they'll create a list and everything's bolded, essentially. Or, well, I want them to pay attention to this. So let's like put an arrow on a page to draw their attention to that. And they really, uh, they really kind of overdo the page where, again, we get into a situation where we want people to pay attention to so many parts of the sale or the page Um, or specific reasons of the value proposition that we essentially create this page that's continually like screaming at me to like pay attention to or drawing me into all these areas so when I'm like scanning the page my eyes are jumping all over the place because there's slide-ins coming into the page you know now there's a light box that pops up subscribe to our newsletter things like that Um, so again I think that we need to pay attention to really what when we look at our pages, what is drawing our attention, and does it follow like a logical path that we want to lead people down to, or are we kind of competing with ourselves? Um, and again, I I recommend that people take a take a look at this article. So I think it had some good points. So wrapping things up on these last two points, conserve attention at all costs. So I think we've already really talked about this um, in some of our other points, but. It talks about really where we draw focus on and um, really using people's time to the best efficiency. So, you know, where do we spend our time in focusing their attention and making sure that we do it in an efficient manner? Now, I will say, though, that um, sometimes longer pages do work well. I think that especially depending on device, I don't mind spending time on a page as long as it's good and engaging and it's kind of leading me down the path that I would naturally think about. So, you know, if it's a good article on, I don't know, like metrics or something that I that I pay attention to and it's and it's just a really good read, they break it up with good graphics, things like that. I don't mind going through the content as long as it's engaging, even when it's like a sales process. You know, I don't mind as long as it's maybe showing images of the product. You know, there's some testimonials thrown into there. They talk about some of their key features. You know, as long as it's engaging, it keeps my attention and it's designed in a well, in in a good enough fashion. I think that, I think the takeaway here is really try to minimize the lull in the visit as much as possible and trying to craft your content to be as relevant as possible and use their time to the best, um, benefit because you don't really want that 
second guessing kind of coming into play on the visit or them just kind of getting bored with what you have to offer. And then them, I mean, we all have ADD now with the internet. So we need to, again, you know, kind of be as concise, uh, but as relevant as possible. Uh, and wrapping things up with their last point, uh, and I kind of, I guess I wanted to kind of retouch on that conserving attention and, just to reiterate that again, the uh, as long as you're providing relevant content, it's okay to um, really kind of create a longer experience, but to make sure that again, it, it's really relevant to what they're doing. And I think testing can really help you kind of get to that, um, get arrive at that destination. Um, and then the, the last takeaway is one action per screen when they're ready. I think that this sometimes might be subject to certain um, segments. So sometimes we have multiple, more than one action that someone can take on a page. And that's just something that we have to deal with, whether that is whether where they're at in the funnel, where they're at on a page, you know, like, for example, on a cart you know, typical carts have multiple calls to action, whether that is continue checkout. Sometimes people have alternate payment selection, so you can hop into PayPal from the cart. Um, I noticed that a lot of carts as well have checkout or, or continue shopping, excuse me. Um, so sometimes depending on what we have in our, or our homepage has multiple calls to action as well. Um, but, you know, sometimes we might have multiple ways for users to interact with us. But I th again, I think the key takeaway here is, again, we are trying, we are the conductors of this uh, symphony for the users. And it's our job to kind of direct them in the paths that we want them to go. So even though there might be multiple paths, whether that's nav, maybe that's continue shopping, um, maybe that's interacting with our content in more ways than one, uh, we should always be directing people into the paths that we want them to go to. So even if we do have multiple actions per screen, uh, don't make all the buttons the same color and size to where I'm having to actually like really read and pay attention to, or I accidentally click and get frustrated trying to interact with your content. So if you do have multiple actions per screen, um, or you have one, regardless, make it clear and evident where I need to go to continue down this path that you want me to go. So if it's a blog, maybe it's where I interact to look at some more content. Maybe that should be the clearest part of the page and how I need to interact with when it's a cart, making sure that we don't have continue shopping buttons that are the equal size of our checkout now buttons or testing that and seeing how people interact with that. Um, and, and, maybe not taking some of those things for granted. So again, making it, it goes back to clarity, I think, and, yeah. and wrapping this up and, and making sure that you, your road signs are really clear on how to uh, continue the uh, road trip for the user. So I think we spent a little more time than we wanted to, but I think some of those principles are really key for us to kind of keep in mind as we're designing uh, for the web. And, and really as competition gets more and more fierce, these are the things that kind of help separate us from the competition and can really make the difference uh, uh, in the long run. So, again, I would recommend that you guys take a look at that article, Conversion XL, Five Principles of Pervasive Design. 
So let's move on to kind of some recent news. So Yahoo opened up the piggy bank and bought <laughs> Tumblr. So, guys, I've been talking a lot. So what were your initial thoughts on that acquisition? Uh, you know, obviously it was huge news. That mm-hmm. dollar figure's massive. Um, I was actually trying to watch an interview on, I think it was CNN with Marissa Meyer. People the... still watch CNN? <laughs> I, That's what I'm saying. I kid, That's I what kid. I'm saying. I was trying to watch it. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Um, I T-voted, though. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to watch it later. But she was uh, talking about some of the you know reasoning why they went after Tumblr and you know, why Yahoo is still relevant at this point, which is kind of, when you think about it, um, yeah. So they're just the content Kings is what they are. And that's what she was talking about. And, and the fact that everyone is moving towards mobile and tablet. And when you think about what everyone does on their cell phone, Mm -hmm. it's all the things that Yahoo are pretty good at minus search. Right. So it's like checking, the new AOL, I feel like. Yeah, it's That's like checking whether AOL it's was. like, you know, reading the news, checking a stock quote, whatever. She listed off a bunch of things. I, I thought it was kind of BS, yeah. but whatever. Right. So they picked up Tumblr. Um, I feel like that's like a, a terrible crutch, though, because I mean, right. with mobile, you have apps competing for it, you know? And, yeah. and Yahoo doesn't really have a footprint, an easy footprint into the mobile market, you know, like, uh, Bing and Google do because you can have accounts with Gmail, Hotmail, and then advertising. And there's a lot of other hooks that those two companies have. Um, but Yahoo, I don't understand. There's no real no integration there other than your mail client. I don't know well, how many people use. And Yahoo you get to mail. leave. You get to leave comments on all the news articles, which are extremely racist <laughs> and usually yeah. anti Obama and government right. and all that stuff. Right. I mean, you should really check the comments. On some I do, articles. but then I lose like... faith in humanity for a little bit, <laughs> and I have to. I have to back away for a little bit. Right. So you know, I didn't do my complete homework on mm-hmm. at least who the average user technically is on Tumblr. But I have a feeling. I know who it is. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like my 16 year old cousin. Mm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know necessarily what the play is here. Right. Um, it seems like one of those trend things that mm-hmm. now that Yahoo's bought it up, it's going to die just like, uh, delicious. And I feel like a few of the other things they picked up. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they try to monetize that and make money off of, of Tumblr. I mean, I think Twitter has provided an interesting case study for, how they've kind of struggled with monetization, you know, yeah. even to this point, I mean, they've, they've done some interesting inroads, but they're still not at the level that, you know, I think that a Facebook kind of, offer, I mean, obviously they have the user base, but, um, it'll be interesting to see how Yahoo track. I mean, they not had the best track record with some of these things. So Tumblr, I know has a pretty reactionary crowd. I believe it was their, yeah, it was Tumblr that released the terms of service upgrade or uh, update a while back about like the photos that you post to Tumblr yeah. and that they could essentially use them for marketing. Like anything you upload is fair game for them to use. Which for... is what every company. <laughs> right. But says. regardless, I mean, there was a huge backlash yeah. to that. They had a, a big that. user exodus. They probably came back a week later. But, you know, there it'll be interesting to see that it has proven in the past that they have a pretty, um, I don't want to say non-loyal, but reactionary user base. And if Yahoo tries to change things up too much, 
how that's going to play in the long term for Tumblr. I know one of the things they've already had to deal with was the porn on Tumblr, but Yahoo came out pretty quickly and said, we're not going to necessarily introduce any terms of service at this point that's going to restrict that, because I know that's like 80% it's, of yeah, it's a, it's a huge <laughs> Tumblr subculture part. It's, um, it's porn but, and picture, selfies. So it's 16-year-old it girls doing picture. selfies in the latest thing they just bought from Forever 21. Yeah, but uh, porn. yeah, I think that it'll be interesting for you. I mean, I think knowing that we are kind of the younger demographic, I don't know anyone that that I know personally that uses Yahoo. It's usually an older crowd that they kind of cater to. So again, I think that Yahoo has some potential with Tumblr to potentially diversify their user base. But from a monetization standpoint and the long play, it'll be interesting to see how this is really uh, turns out for them. Yeah, I, I don't know how you could do it much more different than uh, Twitter's doing it, which mm-hmm. is obviously not working out very well. I mean, we're running. I'm trying to run ads on Twitter right now, and it's it's not the easiest process, and there's not much volume there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I, you know, we don't need to talk about it too much. I just wanted to mention it a little bit. I know it's something that's recent, and by the time this episode gets released, I think it'll be a couple weeks old news. Right. Um, Yahoo might have already sold them. <laughs> no, they've already run it into the ground. Actually, as as you're hearing this episode, Twitter's closing. Tumblr, <laughs> Tumblr is gone. <laughs> Tumblr's gone. So, all right, let's get let's get back into things. So, <clears throat> one of the struggles that we've talked about here on the show, I know in the past, has been, you know, as the internet, well, really, I guess as technology has evolved, we all access sites now with multiple devices now the struggling point for people that run websites is how do we understand visitors that come to our site with these different devices i mean that's that's i mean i can tell from a session standpoint people that access my site but other than forcing you to log in um there's not necessarily a, a very very good way for uh me to kind of bridge those um bridge that that issue uh with multi-session uh um acquisition of our sites or or visits right. so google analytics actually is trying to head this off in their use of universal uh analytics product where they've introduced the concept of user ids now they this is still in beta for people that have opted in um but what they're trying to do is instead of looking at really sessions for visits they are now trying to get kind of where crms are at with assigning user ids and being able to understand when different people from different devices are coming onto our site but essentially it's the same user they're just digesting our content or visiting us with a different device now there's different ways that you can tackle that whether that is a google sign-in and things of that nature which I think really helps us marketers in understanding the inflation of metrics that can happen when we have one user, but they might have a um, Apple iPad that they might use on the subway. They might have their you know iPhone that or Android that they use to digest the blogs um, or other content that we have. They also have their work laptop, so when they're slacking off, when their boss isn't looking, you know they're digesting our content, and all of that. Uh, could be five or six different visits over the course of a week, but really that's the same person, which for me as a marketer is important information and really helps me understand 
really the um, digestion and the in the way that people are interacting with our site and really has a lot to do with how I might adjust my marketing buys and things of that nature. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that really plays out. Um, I think you brought up a good point well, about privacy. Yeah, I mean, there's privacy. I think it'll be an interesting thing to see um, just how marketers handle a lot of this information. I feel like we're oftentimes getting to a point where we have so much data as it is mm-hmm. um, that this these I mean these innovations are coming around so quickly now I feel like especially with um, you know platforms like Google Analytics I mean every time you turn around there are new features released that let you dig deeper mm-hmm. to the point where you don't even know you know all I the start? features <laughs> that are truly available you get right. so deep in a, like an analytics report you don't even know how to get back out or get back to it mm-hmm um, there's just so much data that you can just you can spend days just in right. your Google Analytics account, just really coming up with unique ways to look at how people are using your site. Right. And this obviously just takes it to another step. But you know, back to sort of what's what are the privacy concerns with this? Um, you know, I remember when you know ad retargeting came out, there was a lot of there was a bit of an outcry in terms of people noticing that ads were following them around the internet right. and going, you know, hey, wait, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I think the the end result of that was um, a lot of the big ad networks introduced the ability to opt out of that stuff. Right. So and then browsers started introducing that as well. Right. So you can you can opt out of those ad beacons. So I wonder if this same sort of thing will will continue. Um, if you can just sort of opt out of a lot of this stuff and it's right. a simple process. Um, or if people even really care. I think that's another thing that um, you know, I don't know if Americans care about companies knowing that much about them, at least that much in that way. Well, I feel like we have a interesting um, disconnect. So as Americans, we don't necessarily mind that basically in any store we go to, we're videotaped. And right. in most other areas of our lives, we're videotaped all the time. But when we get the idea that someone might be looking at us when we come on to a a website for say sometimes that triggers you know i want to be i want to have some anonymity when we don't really necessarily expect that in other areas of shopping or visiting a you know business establishments in regular life but one thing that's been interesting that i've kind of been following even though i'm not a big gamer so it's been a little it's been it's odd that i'm actually following it but I was looking at the Xbox One launch, um, and I actually didn't look at the presentation um, or the live event, but one thing that's been interesting listening to the comments about it is I felt like for a, a long time and even still now the EU is far ahead on us in privacy concerns, whether they're merited or not. They're much more privacy conscious than we are in the U.S. and have a lot more laws that, that supplement that their privacy aspects and and for certain things that we don't hear in the U.S. But back to the Xbox One, one of the features that they have is, so now with every Xbox One or new Xbox system, they have a Connect that comes with it. For those that aren't familiar with the Xbox, because I wasn't really familiar with them either, the Connect is the camera system that you might have seen people act the fool and dancing in front of their TVs and really probably throwing out their backs because they don't get their dance on regular life and and things of that nature. So it's it's an interactive piece where it essentially follows the user's uh, motion um, and even it's pretty accurate. It can actually tell facial expressions and things like that. So now every Xbox comes with these. The difference is, though, they're actually always on. 
and it actually watches you in the room to kind of pick up on your users' habits, what you do in a daily life, and how Xbox can kind of complement that. And in fact, it's always on to where you can even customize it to do a, uh, like maybe a wave gesture or something like that, or uh, a combination of things to actually turn on your Xbox or TV. So mm-hmm. what's been interesting to see is I used to be of the same men- mentality that I don't think Americans really care about privacy. But as soon as they started talking about this, and one of the features was, in fact, it'll be interactive with your television, even when you're not necessarily using Xbox, to where if there's, say, an advertisement for Doritos, if you hold up a bag of Doritos and they've created the ad such a way, and the the Kinect sees it, you actually get Xbox gamer points for interacting with the ad. And it's been really interesting to see how many Americans have vowed not to get an xbox because it's they think it's a an invasion of their privacy so it's interesting to see i i feel like the eu has been a a, quite a bit ahead of us and privacy concerns but it seems like we are kind of reaching the breaking point here in america where maybe the companies here are kind of testing the waters too far and now privacy at least in certain segments like in this xbox um, people are kind of waking up to how much they are actually being tracked and how some of our privacy kind of maybe is being taken for granted. Yeah, I, I think there is some of that. I mean, I mean that's really the technology in a nutshell, though, is right. that it's always pushing the bounds of what people find acceptable. Sure. And in terms of... And that's what we battle as marketers, too. Right. So we yeah. might be good stewards of the data that we have. We can't necessarily speak for other Super people perfect. that might not yeah. ruin it for our industry as well. Yeah, and it, with... With the Xbox in particular, I mean, I have an Xbox with a Kinect, uh, you know, like I've mentioned on other episodes. I think you were trying to sell it. I, I, don't, I don't use it. I've <laughs> looked into selling it. It's worth nothing, so it's almost pointless. Might mm-hmm. as well just keep it on the shelf. Anyway, I do remember, though, with the Kinect being bothered that it would randomly take pictures and store them. You know, like you would do a certain move and a game and it would take a picture of you and mm-hmm. in your goofy pose with, you know, everyone else laughing at you in the background. Right. And it would store it. And then so... You know, I was thinking about selling it, and I pulled that up, and there were, you know, like thousands of random pictures of mm-hmm. everyone who's ever played the game in these random poses, and I was like, that's kind of creepy. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's some way to turn that off, sure. but I just it's remember thinking hidden, like, that was, Facebook settings, yeah, <laughs> like that was weird. But in terms of, you know, people being creeped out by privacy concerns, I, I feel like this happens every time, but what ends up happening is the technology ends up coming out. People use it and they forget about the privacy. They don't right. care anymore. There's it's a like, big uproar at first. Right. And then people go, wow. Well, it's it's like when bad. GPS came out on cell phones. Everyone was freaking out. Well, okay. now no one cares. Everywhere. Everyone has GPS on the mm-hmm. phone. Everyone freaked out when Siri came out and they learned that Apple, you know, like you actually sent your voice to Apple. Right. And then it decoded it and, mm-hmm. and it stored your message on right. Apple. So that's a, still a big concern. Everybody, mm-hmm. well, now no one cares anymore. No right. one cares. Um, so these things happen, I feel like all the time and people, you know, maybe get up in a little bit of uproar, especially with social media. It's so easy to, to like a post that, you know, and, and make a little comment somewhere and, and pretend like you're all up in a tizzy tizzy, about something, but you're not really, you're, you're still going to go buy an Xbox one. Not saying you will. Right. And I feel like just humans in general sometimes like to hate on things. So I think, I feel like this kind of runs into that category. We'll join the hate train. Exactly. (laughs) Let's get on the hate train. Let's all rip on something. Yeah. So, all right. We we wanted to kind of touch on optimization summit. Were there any juicy tidbits that you took away from? I mean, so we can wrap the show up here. Uh, 
I, you know, I went to Optimization Summit. Um, I think this is an event that they hold two times a year. It's Marketing Sherpa, Marketing Experiments. Um, And basically they talk about, you know, what's the, what are some of the latest trends in, uh, you know, running testing online and and different ways to optimize your messaging and your marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there were some unique things I heard some people talk about, um, you know, in terms of uh, doing like personality testing so Mm -hmm. segmenting out your users based on you know demographics and how you think they're going to respond to different messaging so that's sort of a new thing that i always sort of thought would happen but you know never really heard people on a on a big scale using it Mm -hmm. um so that was one interesting thing but a a disturbing thing that i heard i think several times throughout the um the summit and this is something i've heard in other places before but i think it really got to me at the summit several times people kept mentioning the the sort of oft-quoted ugly oftentimes converts better than pretty landing pages. Mm -hmm. And I think number one, I think this is, you know, like you were saying earlier, everyone likes to jump on the hate train. I think this is like people jumping on the hate train of, of websites and corporations that can design things better than them. Right. And so they, you know, hear something like, Oh, well, ugly pages can sometimes convert better. And they go, see, told you, told you, we don't need to make pretty pages like them. You know, our ugly pages will work just as well. But I think actually what it really comes down to is a misinterpretation of ugly and pretty in terms of how people use it. When they say ugly, I think oftentimes they're meaning simple. Mm-hmm. And when they say pretty, they're oftentimes meaning complex. Right. I don't use those terms in that way at all. Mm-hmm. I think there are ugly landing pages. I think you talked a little bit about it before, you know, in sure. terms of um, poor font choices and bad gradients and poor layouts. Um but when people talk about ugly versus pretty, that's not usually what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that we're actually going to run a test on this. I know we've talked a little bit about this. I yeah. think we need to run a test. Let's find out for sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll be the final say on this. All right. We're going to run like a test. This. We're going to make an ugly page. We're, we're, it's going to look practically the same, mm-hmm. except we're going to make an ugly version. We're going to make a pretty version. We're going to find out once and for all which one gets the highest conversion rate. Right. Um, it's going to blow up the blogosphere. It's going to go viral. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cause some waves in the right. industry. I mean, yeah, I don't want to belabor the point too much. I mean, I feel like there's a, those are pretty loaded terms that people yeah. use. And I, I think you've already covered some of the reasons why some of that uh, is not often true. And maybe it's just semantics, but I, I feel that I f- one of the bigger issues that that sometimes happen is when people classify things as pretty they just hand it off to someone that designs things well but has really no interest or investment into understanding what we're trying to do on this page it's more like here's what we have make it look better but they don't really understand what is the goal of this page what are we trying to get the users to do? Or re- even really, who are these users? They're just looking at it from a straight design. This is following golden yeah. rules. This is aligned well. These colors work well. But that that really is only part of the equation. You know, maybe we have some of those points that we talked about earlier, like the visual hierarchy. We have some of those elements. But we've really lost the clarity and the value proposition of why people should even right. really care about this page. And I think that's really where people kind of run into problems. So you're saying there were basically two variables that they changed, the right. messaging and the design. Right. Exactly. And the messaging was the real conversion difference. Right. Or it's, or it's you know, when we look at tests, I mean, I know as much, and we've talked about this in other episodes, was people selling snake oil. You know, I, I feel like a lot of 
case studies that we see are 300% changes and things of that nature. But most of the tests that I run very rarely get above 30 to 40%. Now, maybe I have the luxury of starting out with pretty decent products where I'm at in my career, but the, the margins that I have to work with are often not triple digits. And when we are talking about conversion lifts that get smaller and smaller, when you're removing one of the components, such as you know the value proposition or the sale, that can really mean the difference in, in a, a, a lift in how a website performs that that we would look at with confidence. You know, it might yeah. perform, you know, just tweaking design but ignoring sales. Maybe I can lift something like one or two percent, but never arrive at confidence. Or it doesn't make enough material difference to merit rolling this template out across my site. So I kind of scrap that test. Well, it's not necessarily because the design's bad, but I've really ignored that other variable like you were talking about, which yeah. is clarity of the proposition or, you know, really why people should care about what I'm trying to to present them. So I, we're going to delve into this more and we're going to actually run a test and share the findings with everyone. But if you have thoughts on that, definitely reach out to us. We have multiple ways to contact us. You can shout out to us on Twitter. We got a Facebook, Google Plus. We even have a contact us form on the website if you if you want to actually have us take a look at one of your pages and see if it, it would be a good contestant for <laughs> our Quasimodo um Bachelorette um That's what we're gonna call it. <laughs> um facelift operation. Then uh give us a shout out. Um also uh, we're continually shaping how this show is going to work in the future. If you have suggestions, comments, reach out to us on those outlets. We'd love to hear it. If there's a part of your online marketing that you're struggling with, maybe that is measurement. Maybe that is how you integrate all these different things, whether that's how people call into your site, how they you know, convert on different paths and how you look at all that information whether that's how do I even get to a good-looking web page? Where do I go for good designs or good designers? Um, let us know what you guys are struggling with, and we will uh, make it into our next episode or our next couple. Um, and if you did find this podcast useful, we would highly be thankful for a rating or yes. um, a review on iTunes. That really helps us get the message um, out and helps other people kind of see the content um, but like I said we are here for you guys uh, so let us know how we can continue to make this show better for you um, and until next time this has been Rob and Corey for the Bearded Muckers and we will see you next week